0: Thanks for tuning into Organic Matters. Let's take a little moment or two here to update you on the weather. July 2021 was the hottest month on record, period, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. If you thought this July was just toasty, you probably didn't realize you were living through the hottest month in history. On Friday, Noah. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration declared July 2021 the hottest month on record. In this case, first place is uh, the worst place you can be. This new record adds to the disturbing and disruptive path that climate change has set for our entire globe. The combined land and ocean surface temperature this July was 1.67 degrees Fahrenheit above the 20th century Average. This was a 0.02 degrees higher than the previous record tied back in July 2016. Then again, July 2019, and again, July 2020. Now, July 2021 is even 0.02 degrees hotter. The agency said 2021 will most likely be, if not the number one hottest year we've ever had, certainly in the 10 warmest years ever recorded. Monthly surface temperature analysis from NASA also showed the global mean temperature anomaly for July 2021 was about 1.66 degrees above the average from the years all the way from 1951 to 1980. Extreme heat plagued the whole northern hemisphere, in particular during July. Though I determined the land surface temperature in the northern hemisphere was 2.77 degrees above average, the largest departure ever observed for the month. As part of the unusual situation, in July, at least five what are known as heat domes scorched various regions of the northern hemisphere all at once, unheard of. Record highs were set in Turkey, which has recently been hit with devastating fires. Northern Japan broke all records, while the Olympic athletes sweltered under exceptional warmth while they were there. Northern Ireland broke all-time heat records twice in five days. Meanwhile, heat waves continued to bake the Pacific Northwest in North America after the region hit its all-time temperature records. Heat domes also stretched across the contiguous United States, spiking temperatures above 100 degrees in many central states. Overall, NOAA data showed Asia experienced its hottest July on record again ever, while Europe experienced its second hottest July. July 2021 ranked in the top 10 warmest for North America, South America, Africa, and Oceania all at one time. The news comes from a landmark report about climate science issued by the United Nations on Monday a week ago. The IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, report shows climate Clear evidence on how humans have changed our climate and are indeed a contributing factor to these extreme heat events. And the heat hasn't slowed down in August. Just 10 days ago, right while I was going to make this, a weather station in Sicily recorded Europe's new all-time high temperature for the whole European continent at 119.8 degrees Greece incident has also experienced a tremendous hot spell, dubbed the worst heat wave in recent times in Greece. When I talk about these climate events, I always try to bring up a definition again, a a thought. This is climate, folks, not weather. so happens I'm uh, right now in central Texas. I'll be up in the Washington, D.C. area after this for my next show and for a while. But while I'm in central Texas, we've actually had... A relatively temperate July and August for us. Not near as hot as the Northwest in places way away from here. But that's our, that's our local weather. When they talk about climate change, NASA and NOAA are talking about worldwide what happened for the month of August. And when they do that for the last 10 years, basically each year exceeds the last one or almost within a year or two. And right now, this is the hottest july ever on record so that's climate folks that's not weather we also had one of the coldest winters we've ever had in this part of the central part of texas and the reason for that was the extreme hot weather up in the arctic area and you can look all this up if you want to get into the science of it but Yes, scientists do know what's going on. Uh, There's not many climate deniers left, except uh, there's a few politicians for their own advantage that pretend there's no science on climate change. But it's pretty much universal, folks. We're a part of the problem, and we need to become part of the solution pretty doggone quick. As a matter of fact, I'm going to throw a little opinion here. I do that occasionally. That's why I do my show, I guess, for the last 21 years. I feel as terrible as many things in the world are. Climate is unique in posing a true, ever-increasing threat to our civilization. And it's kind of scary, folks. It's kind of horrifying that so many political figures are dead set against any serious action to address this problem. Despite that, there's still a chance that we'll do enough to avoid total catastrophe. Not because we've grown wiser, but because we've been lucky. We used to believe that achieving big reductions in greenhouse gas emissions would be difficult and expensive. Although not nearly as expensive as the anti-environmentalist claim. Over the last uh, 10 or 12 years or so, we've experienced a true technological miracle. As is nicely documented in an article by a fellow named Max Roser, R-O-S-E-R, if you want to look it up. The cost of solar and wind power once dismissed really sort of like a They were like a bunch of us foolish hippies in fantasy land. It's plunged to the point that quite modest incentives can lead to a rapid reduction in the use of fossil fuels. I bring it up here for a reason. You'll, You'll follow this. Was it really luck? Did this miracle, actually two miracles, since generating electricity from the sun and from the wind involve completely different technologies? Did it just happen to arrive in our moment of need? Hmm. Or was it a consequence of some good policy decisions? And here's where, again, it's got to get a little political. The answer is that there's a good case that policy, the Obama's administration investments in green energy and European subsidies, especially offshore wind, played a central role in bringing this technology forward. So how do I justify that? What's the justification for the conclusion? Start with the fact that neither wind nor solar power was fundamentally new technology. Windmills have been widespread for at least since the 11th century. Photovoltaic solar power was developed back in the early 1950s, and as far as I can tell, there haven't been any major scientific breakthroughs behind the recent dramatic decline in both technologies' cost, other than the fact of supply and demand. What we're actually looking at, folks, is what appears to be a situation in which growing use of renewable energy is itself driving cost reductions for solar and wind. We've seen a series of incremental improvements as energy companies gain experience, big reductions in the price of components as things like turbine blades go into mass production, renewables as, again, The article I first saw by Rosser points out appear to be the appear to be subject to learning curves in which cost falls with the cumulative production of the two technologies. Take this for consideration. When an industry has a steep learning curve, government support can have huge positive effects subsidize an industry for a few years and its cost will fall with experience and eventually it'll reach a tipping point where its growth becomes self-sustaining and subsidies are no longer needed. And this is pretty much arguably what has happened or is on the verge of happening for renewable energy. And I add this also here while I'm talking about The electric vehicle business is going through that same learning curve. And right now, yes, it's heavily subsidized, not just here in the United States, but by governments all over the world. But it will reach that same self-sustaining point and probably sooner than we originally thought. Part of what brought this technology up so quickly, a much shorter time span than we originally thought it would be, was that part of the funding as we broke out of the previous, we'll call it depression or recession, was a big money or a lot of money for green energy, tax breaks for the solar and wind companies, subsidies, government loans and loan guarantees. That's government, folks. Politics, whether you like it or not. Some of the projects that they backed, of course, went bad. But venture capitalists expect Some of the businesses they back will fail. As a matter of fact, if none of their businesses they back fail, they tell themselves they're not taking enough risk. So in retrospect, it looks like those initiatives really did extend the energy frontier, pushing solar energy in particular from a high-cost technology with limited adoption to the point that it's now cheaper than traditional energy sources many times. As far as wind power, here in the United States, we were a little slower to act. So I feel credit goes to the European governments which heavily subsidized offshore wind projects earlier in the last decade that we hadn't even, we still haven't really gotten into. In short, there's a really good case to be made, folks, for government support, for renewable energy. It created what we would call a cost miracle far faster than we thought that it might. And that cost miracle may be the key to saving us from really, really bad, long-term climate catastrophe. The years I've done this show, one thing I have uh, come to realize, there, there are more and more people that used to be, I just use the word climate deniers. I, I don't even know what all the purposes were. They're not there anymore. I talk to people now from both sides of the political fence. And with few exceptions, it's very, very difficult for any of them to realize that climate is changing. And it's very difficult to then realize when they look at all the, the numbers that we are part of the problem. So that, that makes me feel good. Then 20 years of talking about this, there was some times I really got some uh, bad feedbacks on a subject like this What I would talk about. I seldom ever get an email, which is how everything works now, or a message that's actually not at least looking at this as a reasonable approach to the climate problems we're having and we can make this a part of the solution a big part divorcing ourselves whenever we can from as much fossil fuel as possible probably the best single answer that i've got if someone else thinks they have a better solution i'd sure look forward to hearing from them thanks for staying tuned to organic matters and you can always get in touch at my email Lowercase nature approved at yahoo.com. I kind of hope you enjoyed this as at least food for thought.